Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me tonight right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown, the crew at Read and Reaction, of course, Will Miles, as he does every week, joining us right here. But also, Nick Knudsen there at Reading Reaction as well. We get together every spring to kick off spring football. We're going to do it once again right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Will, we've heard enough from you. Uh, Nick, how you doing? <laughs> he's on mute is how he's Uh-oh. doing. I don't oh. hear his. You got me? Gotcha. Here we go. Oh, man. See, this is your live, Dave. It's a different ball game, man. <laughs> totally different ball game. So, yeah, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having thanks for having me on. Uh, I like this little tradition we got going. Third year in a, is this third year in a row now? I think so. Doing I this? think so. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. A lot more transfers to talk about this go around <laughs> than the last few, huh? Absolutely. Some more impact transfers too. Will I think we'll get into right here as we kick off. Hey, Gators will start spring practice on Saturday. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of change. We've had the staff going out and coming in and, you know, got Armstrong as the new defensive coordinator, and he's going to have a limited amount of time to get to know these guys before they get out on the field and they start doing evaluations. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly um, and, and how similar the defenses are between him and uh, and Patrick Tony and, and what he can install here in the spring. So I'm excited to see on that side of the ball, especially because of how bad Florida was last year, see what kind of improvement we can see on that side of the ball. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so Florida did announce today as we are going to get started right here. Uh, this orange and blue game, April 13th, it will be a 7.30 kickoff right there. So uh, they did say it was probably going to end up be uh, streaming. It was going to end up streaming probably, uh, much like it was last year. So look for your ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus info uh, when all that comes comes out. But yeah, we won't delay too much more. Everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Almost About 10 away from 11,000 subs right here on YouTube. So Hey, let's hit it right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Get us to 11,000 subscriptions on Gators Breakdown. If you want the conversation to keep going, if you want to stay away from uh, everything else that's on Twitter besides sports, you can get away from it at uh, Gators Breakdown Plus. Click the link in the description. Get you access to that Discord server where the conversation keeps going on. So, all right, guys, let's start right here. Of course, we're going to start at quarterback. Uh, as we, We'll try and go maybe position by position. We'll see what time allows uh, for us to do. We'll try and you know get this around an hour or so episode. But no, no need to rehash. Uh, I mean, who's on the roster? We know what the quote-unquote – I guess we can say battle. I mean, it's going to be Graham Mertz. It's going to be Jack Miller. Max Brown is the third guy. He's going to be doing some baseball this spring as well. But – Guys, I guess a po- maybe a question I'll pose. How quick, if at all, does Mertz assert himself as the starter? You know, is it right away? Is he taking the one reps right away? Uh, will we even get to see that? <laughs> will Billy Napier even tell us that uh, when the Gators hit the spring uh, practice field on Saturday? Um, look, I think we kind of all lean the way of Mertz being the guy, um, maybe taking most of the one reps throughout the spring, ends up being the guy coming out of spring as the number one quarterback. But 
what if this is a true battle? Like, admittedly, no, you know, I'm not hiding anything here. If you've listened to Gators Breakdown, I'm not big on the potential of Jack Miller, but he was injured last year, played with a depleted roster in the bowl game, coming off of injury as well. So we can admit not the best circumstances to maybe figure out ultimately what Jack Miller is uh, at Florida. You know, does he have it in him to make this a battle? And if so, um, we have no idea <laughs> the real reasoning for it. There will certainly be some narratives out there that Mertz can't, you know, one, one narrative will be out there. He can't separate himself from Miller. So the quarterback position will be lacking. Uh, the less popular narrative will be Miller maybe beating out Mertz. That means he's ready to lead Florida to a, to a season that, that rises above expectations. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out and how Napier reacts to the battle. Uh, I think looking at it from a coaching perspective, how long does it take for him to hand the spot over uh, if Mertz is going to be outperforming Miller either right away or does it take a couple of practices does it take a couple of weeks uh, i guess you know the, the biggest question in taking all this into account is how long if it is a battle does the battle take place in spring practice yeah i mean i think the interesting thing here is really brown in my estimation if brown comes in and can push then i suspect that mertz or miller are going to get less reps and they're going to give him an opportunity but look i mean you got to know what you have right and you've had an entire year to evaluate miller and so I think you give Mertz as many snaps as is necessary to prove whether he is or isn't the guy. And remember, Napier already talked about going out in the transfer portal to pick up somebody else mm -hmm. potentially after spring practice. And so that's what you're trying to figure out. You're trying to figure out, do I need to? Is it a dire situation? <laughs> do I absolutely have to have somebody in through the transfer portal? Or am I comfortable with Mertz sort of being a game manager, Miller being his backup, and then Brown kind of being a high upside guy who maybe gets an opportunity in some of the mop-up duty. But, uh, you know, Brown's the guy I'd really look at from a profile perspective. He's the guy who has the potential to be, to be good. Now, whether he can convert into that, I don't know, but, and certainly the baseball sort of complicates that, but um, unless Brown pushes early, I think Mertz gets a ton of the snaps just because you have to know what you got. I made, I made myself a promise, Dave, that I was not going to talk myself into Graham Mertz. I, I was not going to talk it up. I was not <laughs> Why not? Why, why, why not? I wasn't going to try to convince myself by okay. the start of the season that Graham uh, – you know what? You know what? It's just one little thing. I, and you know what? We have looked into Graham Mertz, and there are some differences with – how he played in high school in more of a wide open attack versus how he played in college in that in that very uh, you know running run heavy Wisconsin attack. So there are going to be some differences between Graham Mertz at Wisconsin and Graham Mertz at Florida. But for the most part, we know who this guy is. I I, I believe we know who this guy is for the most part. The biggest thing I can say for Graham Mertz is we had that talent like Anthony Richardson last year. But what did you get? You got. This, 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 every single week, up and down, up and down a little bit. So instead of maybe that ceiling of like a 9 out of 10, your ceiling might be like a 7 out of 10, but maybe there's more 6 and 7s along the way where you're having those steady performances week in, week out, and it might average out uh, to about the same. So that's my hope for Graham Mertz in, in this system. I don't think they bring Graham Mertz in if they're super excited about Jack Miller. However, I also believe if I were advocating for Jack Miller, I would say it's completely unfair to judge him by throwing him into that Las Vegas Bowl disaster of a game, which I've learned my lesson from the Cotton Bowl a couple years ago. Not going to discount bowl games anymore and just write it off like it was nothing, even though 
theoretically you could, but you have to, you do have to look at that. But at the same time, his recruiting profile, he went to Ohio state, Ohio state's been pumping out quarterbacks left and right under Ryan day. Ryan day saw something in this guy. So I do believe that Jack Miller uh, should deserve a fair shot here in the spring. I think with Max Brown with the baseball stuff, I think that's going to be tough to make any type of impact this spring, but I, it, it, it's a little bit in, in merch we trust this season. I, I don't really I, – I don't think it's going to be Miller, but uh, I also think he should get a fair shot in the spring. I mean, ideally, you're looking at – if it is a true battle, you hope you have two good quarterbacks. Now, how likely is that between these two guys? I think, you know, we're – myself, I would say I'm overshooting that because, like I said, I haven't been high on Jack Miller ever since he transferred from Ohio State. I hmm. wasn't impressed in his Ohio State spring game. I wasn't impressed last year in the Florida spring game. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a foregone conclusion. A year – you know, if we go back to a year ago, Anthony Richardson's, hey – Going to win the job. He's going to be the guy coming out of spring practice. I feel that same way about Graham Mertz. Now, not as far as the potential that I thought Anthony Richardson would reach, but I think you know, when the Florida Gators spring game is over with on April 13th and it's 930 at night, I'm going to sit here and say, okay, well, I think it's clear Graham Mertz is the guy. I just wonder, it's kind of going to Will's point, how long does this battle take place? Is it one where Mertz is struggling to maybe separate? Or if there is a battle, it's because Miller has elevated his play and you end up, you know, getting a good battle that you know ends up helping Graham Mertz in the end. I mean, I think if if Mertz and Miller end up in a battle, that's probably a bad sign for Florida. I would think just, that that would probably be the narrative I was going towards earlier. Will yeah, you know, I mean, I, I just look. I, I think you brought in Mertz because you weren't happy with what you had in Miller, and because you needed extra depth, right? And Mertz was somebody they targeted pretty early and brought in early in the process. And, you know, he was there visiting and all of a sudden he was committed and, and that all happened really quickly. Napier's had a lot of good stuff to say about him. And obviously there is the snail of the Wisconsin offense that's sort of sitting there in the background that makes us wonder whether if you put him behind, not even a Lamborghini, if you just put him in sort of like a Toyota Corolla, (laughs) is he going to be able to have a halfway decent offense? Um, you know, and, and obviously the, the tight ends at Florida are supposed to be a big part of the offense. Do guys like Dante Zanders are they, and, and Keon Zipper, are they able to take a step up because now you have a quarterback who can hit sort of those short, the short game stuff, the intermediate throws over the middle, the things that just got airmailed a lot last year. So I, look, I think, I think um, this is a transition year. When you look at the overall roster, um, you know, it's heavily, heavily slanted towards guys who have three and four years of eligibility left. And so if you're going to sort of just bring in a guy to make things competent for a year or two, then Mertz fits that profile. If you're looking to have someone grow with all those young guys, then Brown fits that profile. I think Miller's sort of in between, Mm -hmm. which really means that, yeah, I mean, you give him an opportunity because you have to play the best guy out there, right? If Miller comes out and just lights it up in camp, you can't go, well, we brought in Mertz. We promised him he was going to play. So we're going to sit the guy who's the best. Like that's not going to work on a team where you're making everybody earn the playing time that they get. And at not coming time, off the six and seven season either. <laughs> yeah, but but at the same time, let's not pretend that you don't have the last year worth of of reps that you've seen from Miller in your head as this is going right. And so the bowl game isn't necessarily the thing that I look at. What I actually look at is the spring game. So if you go back to the spring game last year, it was clear that Anthony Richardson was a better player um, when you looked at those two. Now Richardson was less was was not consistent, right? But the problem was, is in that spring game, Miller wasn't consistent either. You saw some of those things carry over to the Oregon State game, which is the reason why I think people sort of sit there and say, well, maybe not. We'd like to see what Graham Mertz has. And then to your point, David, you're 
you're getting to a point where you're trying to sell hope. You're trying to sell your program. You're trying to sell your offense. If you, if Miller wins the job, he better win it outright because we've seen what he can do. And if you go six and seven again with him behind center, well, you know, then what does that say about your evaluation, bringing in guys to the transfer portal, all that sort of stuff. So there is a, a narrative I think that sort of pushes towards Mertz getting the, getting the lion's share of the snaps. And again, I think we'll see a lot of it in the spring game because last year it was pretty clear, right? I mean, they had Mm -hmm. Richardson on one side, they had Miller on the other. They went back and forth for like two and a half or three quarters before they even brought in the backups. We saw nothing of Jalen Kitna and then we wound up seeing more of him in 2022 than, uh, than, than we saw of, of Jack Miller. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's Mertz or bust unless you bring in somebody in the spring is sort of how the staff is probably seeing it. Again, unless Max Brown's able to take a major step forward. And like I said, his high school profile at least suggests that might be a possibility. Yeah, I, I don't want to discount the three years of starting experience here either for Mertz. I think right. you go look at that. That's a guy who stepped in right away as a true freshman at Wisconsin and started started got that starting nod in the COVID year too. I mean, think about how especially difficult that would have been for an incoming freshman during that season, right? So I, this is a guy that can clearly handle the mental load on, on him. Wisconsin was going through some other things off the field too. Their recruiting was kind of a mess for a couple of years there with Chris. There was It wasn't just – Merck's not playing up to his ability. That was just part of the equation of what was going on at Wisconsin. There's a reason why Paul Chris, who was otherwise a fairly good coach at Wisconsin, is out of a job and they're moving in a completely different direction this year. All right, there we go. Quarterback talk, getting us ready for spring practice this week. And now we'll move to running back. And guys, I think you'll probably agree, one of, if not, the top position for the Gators when you look at this team uh, to feel best about uh, because the duo of Montreux Johnson, Trevor Etienne, we know what those guys are. And it'll be interesting to see how they are affected by the, by the retooled offensive line. But behind them, I think we got a little interesting battle um, between true freshman Trayon Webb and Tulane transfer Cameron Carroll. And still looking at Carroll, I think he can carry the short yardage back role for the Gators and become a key piece in the rotation brings plenty of experience with him. Uh, so three backs with experience. And then Trayon Webb, uh, early enrollee, will get his first taste of college football this spring. And he should get carries this spring. The staff, you know, as the staff can learn what they have in him uh, as a true freshman, uh, can he adapt fast enough to become an integral part of the offense like ETN did last season? Uh, that may not be a fair question. I mean, because look at the Florida and, and the running back right now, two proven backs with Johnson and ETN. And while he – has to transition from the AAC to the SEC. Carroll provides plenty of experience and production coming from Tulane. So there may not be as much as an opportunity for Trayon Webb uh, like ETN had last year. Now, there were a lot of there were a ton of running backs on the roster last year, but you know, he he passed those guys up. You know, we were still questioning what is Lorenzo Lingar? Who is Lorenzo Lingar? Who is Demarcus Bowman? Uh, you know, those guys end up, you know, not contributing all that what uh, all that much. And then Daquan Wright gets passed up as well. There are established, more established running backs for the, the running back room right now. So it may not be as easy for Trayon Webb as an early enrollee and a true freshman to break through like Trevor Etienne did last year. Yep. 
Yeah, ET, ETN absolutely messed this thing up for Trey on Webb because the expectations <laughs> are going to be sky high for this guy coming in. And uh, he was a great running back at Trinity Christian, certainly comes in, you know, that Webb name. He's got some Florida ties and everything that we're familiar with. But with ETN, I think people are just – the way Johnson and ETN just seamlessly took over last year, people are going to be like, oh, well, Webb must be great too. Billy's got that position under control, no problem. And I look at it – and I, I was saying this at the end of last season too. Feed to – Feed seven. I don't know why those guys shouldn't touch the ball at least what thirty times between the two of them every single game. For and my sure. question, my question too, is at the top of the rotation, is ETN going to overtake Johnson this year? As much as I love Johnson, I think ETN is just that good, and he might be the top running back at some point during the season. I think it's interesting though if you look at last year, Naquan Wright was clearly. Um, clearly more inefficient than the other guys, which is why Johnson and ETN took over towards the end of the year. But Napier clearly wanted three running backs in that rotation. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons. No, other, I'm sure the leadership component of it was part of it. I think he probably thought they were going to get Wright more involved in the passing game as well. But still, I mean, Wright was the guy starting the games, and then they wound up with Johnson and ETN just taking over three, four, five games in. I think Carroll sort of fills that role. And so I would not be surprised if he gets a ton of carries and Webb is going to have to contribute on special teams. Like this is one of the things that I think Napier has emphasized in the past at pass stops is making sure, you know, they don't call it special teams coordinator. They call it the game changer coordinator. Last year that was true, but it was in the opposite direction. They're going to have to, they're going to have to sort of fix that. Um, and, and a lot of these young guys who are coming in at the freshman and redshirt freshman level, I think are going to have to prove their weight there. Now, Carroll as well, I think, has some experience with mm. kickoff and punt returns too. So, you know, you've got an opportunity here, a little bit of a surplus in terms of talent at that position. Can you then u- utilize those skill players someplace else? Can you put them on punt returns, pick them up, put them on kick returns, get something out of it? So last year, ETN returned a lot of kickoffs, had some pretty successful kickoffs. I'm not sure you want to expose him to that this year if you're going to lean on him, especially if, like you mentioned, Nick, if he passes Johnson in the lineup and all of a sudden is your true starting bell cow running back. So I would look for one of these guys to really be, take over that role that ETN has had on kickoffs on special teams and probably contribute there. So you talk about Webb breaking in. I think one of the places he's going to be able to break in is going to be special teams and then pass protection. That's always the question when it comes to a freshman running back coming in is can he pick up the schemes to a point where he's able to protect? And look, I mean, Richardson bailed out the offensive line and the running backs mm-hmm. quite a bit last year. When when blocks were missed, he was able to get around that corner, especially on the bootlegs where, where the defensive end didn't bite. He was able to beat him to the outside. Yeah. Graham Mertz and Zach Miller or Jack Miller aren't going to be able to beat him out to the outside. And so you're going to need running backs who are able to pick up pass pro. And I actually think in many ways that'll be the determining factor in terms of who gets the most snaps. If Carroll comes in and struggles in pass protection, he's just not going to be out there because with these guys who aren't statues, but they're not Anthony Richardson. Um, they're going to need somebody who can pass protect back there at running back. And and so, you know, whoever can't do that is going to be the one who ends up on special teams. Nick, I like what you brought up. Yeah, the, don't, don't blame Trayon Webb if he's not getting on the field early because, you know, <laughs> just, like I said, the Trevor Etienne made this last year. He inserted himself early. He has the experience now. Montreal Johnson's not going anywhere. Uh, and then, like I said, bringing Carroll in. I mean, there are truly three backs in front of him. He'd have to be a really – 
really special player to come in right away and, and I think start garnering carries. But, hey, he should be getting plenty this spring, as I said. I think you want to figure out what you have in him and how quickly he can acclimate himself uh, to this because the injuries happen as well. Uh, we saw it last year uh, with, with Florida in the running back spot. So definitely want to get Trayon Webb as many reps as he can uh, this spring. You know, and like, we, like I said, we know what Johnson is. We know what ETN is. Uh, time to learn what these other transfer running back and a true freshman running back coming in. Uh, spring practice will be huge for the other running backs because we know uh, what Florida has in the other two. So offensive line next, kind of going along hand in hand with those running backs. And how much will it affect those running backs? I mean, this is going to be a retooled offensive line. Osiris Torrance going to the NFL. Garage as well. Then the two surprise transfers who would be starting this spring, and Ethan White and Michael Tarkin, both transferring to USC. Uh, so we'll get our first look at this retooled offensive line in the coming days. Kingsley Aguakin returns at center. Austin Barber as well, likely at left tackle. Uh, now we'll get to see new transfers. Micah Mazuka, Damian George, Keonta Goodwin insert themselves as well this spring. Mazuka looks to be anchoring that left guard spot uh, in the spring will be mostly used to figure out the right side of this offensive line, first and foremost. George played a lot of tackle for Alabama, but could factor into right tackle, right guard uh, in Gainesville. Uh, but if guard, you know, he'd be in a battle with probably Richard Leonard, who saw time towards the end of last season and played well. Uh, throw in Jalen Farmer as, as well into that mix. as a young player that the staff really likes along the offensive line. I think you have some quality options there at right guard. And then right tackle, I think, you know, you throw George's name back in. He may get that first crack there. But you also brought in another high-profile transfer from Kentucky, Keonta Goodwin. So George couldn't keep the job at Bama. Goodwin may need more body transformation before he's ready to compete and, and, and have some significant play in time along the offensive line. How quickly can he, you know, acclimate his body may factor into ultimately – how much time he gets uh, this fall. But we need to see what he can do this spring. Go learn in this offense. Go play in this offense. So when you go take that body transformation this summer, you're ready for fall camp mentally and physically. So that's where I'm really looking at, at Goodwin's prog you know, progress mentally in this offense. I don't think he'll be ready physically just yet, just getting there in Gainesville. He even admitted himself. One reason he chose the Gators was to get his body in shape. He was he was really impressed with what they did with Desmond Watson along the defensive line. He wants to be the same, do the same thing along the offensive line. So uh, I'm, I'm eager to see you know, how those transfers fit in and how they fit there on the right side of that offensive line. Yeah, I think Goodwin is the key. I mean, you have Cam Waits, who I think we all expected probably to shift out to a tackle position who who ruptures his Achilles, so he's out for the year. And and Goodwin then, if he can come in and lock down one of those tackle spots, it allows you to do so much, right? If you can bring Georgia Mazuka into the guards along with Egwakan, well, now you've got three guys in the center of your offensive line who all have significant experience. George at Alabama, Mazuka really was the second best guard in the country behind, behind Osiris Torrance. And then Egwakim has been a solid, solid center now for two or three years. And so you got a lot of experience for guys who, quite honestly, you know, Egwakim was the captain essentially of an offensive line that's been great in the running game the last couple of years. Mazuka is going to come in, plug and play. George, if he's on the inside, but that only works if you've got Austin Barber and Goodwin on the outside. And that's really where the Waits injury hurts is that Waits was sort of that sixth guy last year who came in when Osiris Torrance didn't play in the bowl game, comes in at guard, struggled a little bit, but still he was that sixth guy that really, maybe even the seventh guy behind Barber because Barber came in for Tarquin. 
you know, when Napier talked in the fall about being comfortable seven, eight, nine guys in the offensive line, Waits was a big part of that. You get all the departures on the offensive line, and now you're kind of down to five, right? You're sitting there trying to figure out who are those those five. And so if Goodwin can step up and be a significant starter this year, well, then that places you in a position where you're at least at six. And you'd really like to get to seven or eight, but you know, if you can get to six where you can sustain an injury and still be okay, I think that's where you want to be. So I sort of look at this and say, I'm I'm okay with George. I'm okay with Mazuka in terms of what they're going to bring. The question is, if those if George is out at tackle, well, you're still you've now got a bunch of young guys competing for another guard spot. And we just don't know anything about those guys. And continuity is important on the offensive line. Florida's certainly given that up. So talent mean, you know, I think you need talent at that position then to make up for it. And Goodwin is sort of the most talented out of anybody at this point. Hey, Nick, before you jump in, it may be a little bit of recency bias with those transfers there, but you know, I brought their names up and not to gloss over them, but you know, Richard Leonard, Jalen Farmer, I I expect those guys to be heavy in the rotation this spring and fighting for starting roles. I think there will be uh, several names that you're going to see bounce around here. I mean, there's a lot of good pieces for development here. That's what I like about what they build. It's, uh, you know, Will reference it. Will, do you do it about it every other episode at least? We have to get a Bill Sykes reference in, right? Bill Sykes, the <laughs> offensive line uh, article he wrote, which was awesome, by the way. Love, love the article. But, like, the numbers are getting there with this offensive line, which Sykes was talking about last year in that article on Rain Reaction, if you haven't checked it out. Uh, but I like – the I like what they did in the transfer portal for sure. I, I I'm big fan. I like the Mazuka tape when I was watching Mazuka. That guy looks like he's going to come in and plug and play right away. I you heard a lot of good things about uh, Kearney out of Orange Park. Mm-hmm. Really liked what I saw out of Austin Barber last year. So what I what I like about this group, I think there's a big enough group that there is going to be a steady presence here with a good running game like we're gonna like we saw last year. I don't think there's going to be a big drop-off in the running game. Uh, do I know the exact five pieces or what order we're going in? Or what it, no, I, I have no idea. A lot, lot to develop here, a lot to, to break down here. You, you're certainly right about Richie Leonard, by the way. Leonard comes in, a lot of experience now after a few years in the system here. But – this is what Billy Napier wants to do. He wants to run the ball. He wants it. These this offensive line is huge too. Like these guys, he's brought in. He's absolutely the size is incredible that he's brought in, and I expect this to be a very strong unit. Might not have the superstar power that we had like with Osiris Torrance last year, but I think uh, across the board, I think it's going to be a pretty steady unit again this year for the 2023 Gators. Feel good about it. Yeah, I think between the transfers and you know Farmer and 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 Leonard there, I mean, Will brought that number up. I mean, there. Eight guys probably right there. I think the staff probably feels comfortable with uh, going into going into spring practice starting this weekend. So good thing for the Gators and Nick, like you said, the numbers are there. I, I think there are there is some depth there, and I just I'm not so sure the ceiling will be high as high with this offensive line, but I don't I don't, I don't expect a, a major step back either as far as uh, running the ball goes. Uh, especially you know, with those with those running backs, I think helping those guys out just a bit as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see. Uh, and that's not to take anything away from Osiris Torrance. That's why I say I'm not sure. So I see the ceiling is high, but maybe maybe a little more consistency all across the board uh, for this offensive line uh, going into Billy Napier's second year. So all right, well this one's uh, a little more important now with Kerry Colbert going to the NFL. But now we'll transition to wide receiver. Kerry Colbert, gone. Justin Shorter, also out. Uh, one of the better receivers for the Gators last year. Uh, but also now coming back, Ricky Pearsall, Xavier Henderson, returning to a group where, hey, look, we talked about depth along the offensive line. This might be the place where the depth really, 
really needs to show up. This spring is so important for these wide receivers and, and this group to come together. You know, also pair that with the change at quarterback in the passing game there, the offensive line being retooled. I mean, this passing attack, it needs all the work it can get this spring, you know, while going through a lot of change, multiple positions, quarterback, offensive line, and of course, right here at wide receiver. Two freshmen, Andy Jean, Aiden Mizell, they're available as early enrollees going through spring. And look, they really honestly could push Jamarcus West and Jaquavion Frazier, Marcus Burke, Caleb Douglas, uh, Ja'Kai Bowman. None of those guys should feel great about securing a job when spring practice opens uh, uh, up this weekend. They'll, they'll get the first reps because of the experience, but they should not feel safe uh, about their job you know, behind Pearsall, behind Henderson. I know some people are even out there will question Henderson, but he's look, he's going to be one of the starting three receivers for, for, for the Gators uh, when, when spring practice starts, and I expect him to, to keep that as well. Uh, but Florida's going to have to find their third wide receiver they can count on behind Pearsall and Henderson this spring. And even if they do, how far does that third guy separate themselves from all the names I just listed? You know, is it going to be just somebody who barely separates and Florida's continuing to go through the season to to find their third guy? Uh, You know, I just – I have to think a few guys elevate their game this spring and build a nice rotation for Florida. But identifying the likely contributors – we're only a few days from spring practice. It, it's tough to identify who are you putting when you're naming the top three receivers behind Pearsall, behind Xavier Henderson. Is it bad that I want to name all three freshmen, incoming freshmen? <laughs> I, I love this group that's coming in. I think that's the part that's the biggest detractor with Colbert leaving that I'm bummed out about the most is because clearly these guys, they wanted to come play uh, for Colbert too. So that's that's a bummer to see them go. But Mizell, Gene, Wilson, I am equally excited about all three of these guys. Three receivers in the class, but I think they hit it out of the park with each of them. Their tape is fantastic. Speedsters, guys who are athletic, who can make plays. And, uh, you know, couple that with Ricky Pearsall coming back. We really needed him for another, like a holdover year here. And Henderson's just solid. I, I like Henderson's game. I'm not always sure – you guys can correct me if you disagree on this, but I'm not always sure I love the way they use Henderson. Right. I think they use Henderson like he's a – like they almost use Henderson the way they should use Pearsall a little bit. Correct. In some ways, <laughs> where it's like, hey, like let's shoot the screen pass out to Pearsall and let him make a few moves. Henderson, just he should be the guy that you're streaking down the middle on, on a, a deep pass or something or you're going down a sideline. I'd like to see him more used in the, in the deeper passing game this year. But I love those three – those three incoming freshman receivers, I think one of those guys are definitely – you talk about your Trevor Etienne for the offense this year, that your standout freshman, probably going to come from one of those three names. It wouldn't surprise me. Liked what we saw from Douglas toward the end of the mm-hmm. season last year as well. I thought he came he came on a bit. I was disappointed to see Reynolds go out the door. He ended up at Pittsburgh. And Bowman, good. I We didn't see a ton out of him one way or another to say – but I think that he could be a steady contributor type of guy. At some point, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be the type of guy that's going to excel completely. Burke, Weston, and Frazier's kind of putting him in the same category at this point. Let's see something. So I, I actually I'm not going to get hyped up about either one of those three until I see something. So I actually separate Frazier's from that group. He was clearly the fourth guy in last year. Um, you know, Shorter got injured. He comes in. He had a really nice game against Texas A&M. Four catches for 50 yards. Made a really nice play on a fade. And then got injured on that mm-hmm. fade, and that was pretty mm-hmm. much it for him for the end of the year through the end of the year until Oregon State, where he had one catch. But I think when you think about where he was last year, clearly you had Pearsall, Shorter, and then Henderson out there, and then Frazier's was the next guy up. And so I Frazier. think 
I think that's very different than Marcus Burke. I think that's even different than Caleb Douglas, certainly different than Chikau Bowman. Those guys were sort of the next wave as Henderson went down and as Pearsall at some points went down as well. Those were the guys they brought in as the replacements in, in those in those situations. But Frazier's was the first one up. I think he's probably the one you look at and say, if I'm looking for a guy who's not one of those freshmen to take a step up, that's that's where I would look. I think Douglas showed some flashes, but again, um, you know, Burke showed flashes a couple years ago as well. I, I think really one of the things that we're looking for this year is just consistency. That's the thing that made Ricky Pearsall so good last year. He was always open and always consistent in terms of what he was doing, the route running, all that sort of stuff. And it's interesting that you say, hey, that Nick, you say run Pearsall on the end of rounds and things like that. Well, you don't have him streaking down the field open if you have him running on the end of rounds or the little screen passes or things like that. I think in many ways, this is the limitation that Florida has is that when you only have one real playmaker out at wide receiver, you have to use somebody's decoy to get the other guy open. And that was one of the problems that they had. Now, they did start running the end around with Pearsall mm-hmm. towards the end of the year, and that was way more effective. So I do expect them to see that. And actually, one of the things we'll be writing about pretty soon is if Billy Napier watched the Super Bowl at all, he just got a wrinkle. All the red zone touchdowns that the Chiefs scored against, against the Eagles were things where essentially that guy who streaks behind the quarterback, but all of a sudden Kadarius Tony puts his foot in the ground, goes the other way, and you got a guy wide open in the red zone. I expect some teams to really start to mimic what they saw in that game because that's something very specific that I think a lot of these teams that run the jet sweeps and those sorts of things are going to be able to do. So when I look at the guy, the new guys coming in, Eugene Wilson's the slot guy. He's the guy that I look at and say, if I was going to say who could be the next Kadarius Tony, and that's that's an unfair comparison, but if I said who could be that guy, who could be the shifty guy who puts his foot in the ground and runs some of those sorts of things that Florida just didn't have last year, it'd be Wilson. But uh, I still unfortunately, think you – know, Unfortunately, he's not taking part in spring. He's not an early well, in early, so. That that may be true, but, you know. Oh, yeah, they'll, again, they'll find it eventually. Yes, I agree. <laughs> if he's able to do it, get him in there, man. There's no pass pro when you're, when you're a wide receiver. Put about there, let them run routes. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, Andy Jean seems to be turning heads, you know, through early workouts and the words coming out of there and that his de- and his route running not disappointing whatsoever, known for that, and maybe even faster than some people think so as well. Uh, so and I know many thought he was criminally underrated anyway as a recruit, but it may be coming to fruition that he was criminally underrated. Dave, was it that ju- was it that junior season he uh, that he played IMG? It, for Gene, that tape was awesome. I, I believe it was from his junior years. He, he he just crushed. He crushed it against IMG. He he had a great game against. Oh them. yeah, yeah, against IMG. I was like, oh yeah, not for IMG, but yeah, 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 yeah. Where he just put against. Up, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. He, yes, yeah. It's from Miami. Yeah. Well, now now we just have to wonder, and I'm sure we'll get to it relatively quickly. But we just have to wonder when these guys show up in the spring game. Is it because the wide receivers are really good, <laughs> or is it because of something else? Yeah, that's the. <laughs> That's probably how we should lead this. You know, that's how spring practice is. You don't know how to take it. Checks and balances with with spring football here. Uh, going to Will's point, we'll get the defense in just a second, but we will go to tight end before we move to the other side of the ball. Hey, look, waiting on a new coach here as well. Could hardly use two tight end sets last year. I think the way Billy Napier probably wanted to use them, not anything like we, uh, I think, planned. Look, even going through a year ago, remember – Tight end got decimated last spring, and it kind of the injuries continued into the season as well. Uh, so Napier not being able to run and use two tight ends as he had accustomed to, uh, 
not only injuries, but, you know, talent not necessarily there. Uh, that plays a part there, too. So in the mix, of course, would be Keon Zipper making his return to go along with Jonathan Odom, who showed some flashes later in the season. Uh, last year, spring star Dante Xander's returns, but you know, not much of a factor last season. So going and dating back to last year, I'm excited to see what Artis Boardingham can do this spring. I know he turned a few heads last year with his ability, 6'3", 235, I look for Napier to try and get him involved for mismatches. Add two more, uh, three more, Andrew Sabanea, Hayden Hanson, Tony Livingston, who was originally a recruit last year, but gray-shirted, counts for this year's class. Uh, all the tight ends, seven there. Not a lot of production through those seven, though. Um, so we know Napier likes to run two tight ends. That's probably why. I mean, seven seems like a high number uh, for tight ends, but not when you run the two tight ends that Napier likes to run. But also look at this, you know, maybe whoever loses the reps this spring, you might get a transfer or two with guys maybe not liking their role or their, you know, their playing time as spring practice kicks off this week. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see. So I saw something the other day. Georgia ran 12 personnel more than any more than any team in the country, and part of that is because of the beast that they have at tight end. But part of that is is because as everyone is starting to spread out, and as you're bringing in linebackers who can run, and you're you're essentially saying we dare you to run the ball against us. Having having tight ends in there who can maul those smaller guys becomes really important, right? I mean, essentially, a nickel defense is the standard-based defense at this point in college football. And so bringing those guys in and being able to block, I think, is almost as critical as being able to catch. And so that's what I'm looking for in the spring. I mean, a guy like Hayden Hansen, is he going to be able to be a road grader? Is Livingston going to be able to be a road grader? Is Boardingham going to be a good enough blocker that if he's a downfield threat – at least you can run the ball with those tight ends out there. Because let's be honest, that's what Georgia did. I mean, Georgia was able to take advantage of the fact that Bowers and Washington both had different skill sets, but also that those guys essentially could serve almost as two extra offensive linemen, which get, which allows you to take advantage of the base personnel. And then if the defense brings in somebody big, well, now you split out the, the tight ends, the Bowers in this case out wide, and you let him take advantage of, of his skill and his, and his ability. Now, look, I mean, Keon Zipper has shown that sort of ability. He just hasn't been able to stay on the field. I mean, a couple of years ago in the, in the comeback against Georgia, Zipper is the one who made the big play when Florida was down 14, nothing sort of broke a bunch mm -hmm. of tackles, drove down on a, on a drive downfield, Florida gets to 14 to seven. And all of a sudden the game completely changes the great play he made against 10 to see. I mean, obviously, everybody's been seeing that because, because all the draft guys are posting Anthony Richardson clips where he's dancing around in the pocket and then gets the ball at the zipper. But the thing you forget is zipper caught the ball at like the 17-yard line, just ran over four or five balls <laughs> all the way to the end zone. So Florida has some talent at the position. The question is going to be, can they stay healthy? And in my mind, the question is, do you gain something in the running game by having two tight ends in? Because that was the problem last year, is Florida didn't gain anything in the blocking game by having two tight ends in. And if that's the case, you might as well just split out three wide because you're not forcing the defense into anything other than its base nickel. And you can't take advantage of that if you can't block it. All right, let, let's let's play a game here, guys. All, All right. right. Brock Bowers, two seasons at Georgia, 56 receptions and 13 touchdowns his freshman year, 63 receptions and seven touchdowns last year, right? Would so you take 53 and 63? Yeah, would, okay. and seven touchdowns last year. Would you take, let's say, uh, 25 receptions and four touchdowns out of your top receiving tight end? If I gave it to you right now, I can guarantee it. Would you take that right now? 25 and four? 
just just to illustrate the difference of what we're talking about here between the best tight ends in America and what we're dealing with right now. Uh, yes, I, I'd sign up for that. I'd sign up for that right now. I mean, for it just. Well, that means our quarterbacks have thrown for four touchdowns. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. 13 receptions <laughs> for 177 yards and a touchdown. That, By the way, everyone remembers that touchdown from Tennessee last year. Will, name the second best t- play a tight end made last year. And Jonathan Odom versus Odom FSU? Florida State. Yeah. Yep. yeah, there you go. Okay. So, and one touchdown uh, on the season there for Zip. So, I, hey, look, I like the potential for Zipper as well. Outside of that, I, Odom came on a little bit late there, but uh, you know I'm not I'm not seeing a lot of a lot of hope out of this tight end position this year. I think it's another year to develop and definitely got to bring some guys in at that position. It, it, hey, that's remember why the spring game last year? It was tight end dominated, even with I, the, all the injuries. Right, Xander's had a nice game, right? Yeah, and it, yeah. I, I, that's why I'm like you, Dave, where you talked about you threw out Boardingham and Hanson out, out there. So like, I'd love to see somebody step up, but like I said, if you gave me 25 receptions and four touchdowns right now, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Well, it's like I said, I, I actually don't think the receiving numbers are the critical part. I think the pro, the question is going to be, can they block? And if you've got guys out there who can block, then you're going to get the receptions. Like even you think about like Travis Kelsey, he just sort of, you know, he's he's able to block enough that he runs that sort of like little five-yard thing, turns around and Mahomes hits him. <laughs> now, I'm not comparing these guys to Mahomes and Kelsey at all. But how often did we see Florida just pick up an easy six or seven yards yeah. last year on a play where a right. tight end basically goes out, you know, four or five yards, turns around, you hit him in the chest, and you and you live to fight on second and four? I mean, never, right? And so just those sorts of things, being able to add that in. And honestly, that's where you get the defense caught in a nickel and you got a big tight end, a guy like Boardingham or a guy like Hanson, kind of a big dude who can just go out there and essentially play power forward, turn around, box him out, get the catch. And there just wasn't anybody on the roster who could do that. They were trying to get open using skill last year. I think in some ways you want to get open via scheme, right? You want to either make them bring in a big guy so you can go deep, or if they're going to stay small, you kill them either by blocking or by just getting out there and catching a four or five yard pass the whole way downfield. And, uh, you know, they weren't able to do that last year and I think some of that was Anthony Richardson I think some of that was the tight ends and I think some of that honestly was just if you looked at that team you'd rather have Pearsall Henderson and Shorter out mm-hmm. there than anybody who is at the tight end position and hey that makes that may hold true this year but in terms of what Napier wants to do in terms of the way college football is moving right I mean it's it's always a dance of trying to find an edge and it used to be that you had big linebackers, and so you spread everything out to take advantage of those big linebackers. Well, you know, Nick Saban famously, after Manziel beat him, decided he was going to start recruiting guys who were really fast at the linebacker position, but you give up size when you do that. And so now everything is starting to come back in. You can actually see that in some underlying stats last year. Quarterbacks, um, for years, completion percentages have been going up with yards per attempt, and last year's the first year those things actually went in the opposite direction. And so I suspect that that's a big part of like things starting to constrict a little bit and uh, and and offense is changing. So, you know, there was some question, I think, early on last year about whether Napier's sort of offense with the two tight ends was the right way to go. I'm actually becoming more and more convinced that that is the way college football is headed, just sort of in response to all the spread offenses that have been proliferating throughout college football. Interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on uh, this year. And hopefully, as we know, Napier, history says, likes to use those two tight ends. Maybe we see it this Spring in Gainesville, and it translates to this fall. So, all right, everybody, as we switch to defense, hit that like button, subscribe to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet, and let's start up front. 
on the defensive line. And guys, I, I'm probably going to go ahead and do it. Cam Jackson going to be the need to have the biggest impact label uh, for me right now. Needs to take over for Jervon Dexter. Hopefully won't have to play as many snaps as Jervon Dexter. Um, can play nose if needed, but I'm looking forward uh, to him and Big Dez on the line together mostly. Uh, Jackson Dez, Human Mielin should be the defensive line starters you see the most. But you know, this spring, we need to see Chris McClellan. I, I, I would like what I saw from him last year, take another step to be on the field uh, some more and, and, and you know play a lot by splitting time with Watson. Uh, but also in that role, Kalen Bates, the transfer from Louisville. Uh, I would have loved to see Dexter with this group, uh, potentially, uh, with all the depth. That's, I, I think there's some depth uh, in this group now, more so, you know, preparing for this episode, I was just like, mm, they're looking at the names and looking at maybe some potential depth here. I cautiously, optimistically feel better uh, about the depth now uh, up front on the defensive line. I'm not saying it's going to be excellent. I'm not, they're not going to take this huge, big step and become this dominant force, but I think maybe a serviceable group here with the transfers and the development of some of the younger guys uh, on the roster right now. So, yeah, I hope this spring goes this spring goes a long way in you know making this a serviceable unit. Also, Tyreek Sapp, Justice Boone, guys that are back as well. There's some names. There's some name recognition. Some names that we know uh, right here along this defensive front and. I think they have some more depth to be able to rotate a bit more, not be so exhausted and have to stay on the field so much, stay healthy as well. Uh, but Kelby Collins, also a true freshman, early enrollee, also from everything I'm hearing, coming on fast as a high-profile recruit behind the scenes. We'll see if that translates uh, to on the field this spring as well. So not trying to get too far ahead of myself with this group, but I expect more. Going through these names and going through the young guys and, and, and potential uh, pairings and – I think who can play together up front along this defensive line. I, I'm, a, I'm a little more optimistic about this group. The incoming freshman class, this is another position that they absolutely knocked out of the park. I, I'm so high on Collins. I'm very much looking forward to seeing him uh, get an opportunity early. I think he will. I think he's definitely a guy that can make an impact on the defensive side of the ball early in his career. I, I think this year, though, if you want to talk about guys uh, who are there in the past, obviously Jackson coming in from Memphis, too. Just the the way that, that guy, the size and the speed together is, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to the eye when you look at it. Uh, he's absolutely an NFL talent. Uh, Jackson will definitely play in the league one day at, at some point. Uh, McClellan, though, is absolutely, I think, the guy who you really want to circle and say, that guy, if he comes on and develops, it takes another step this year. I think he is going to be a key piece there. Him and Sap, if those two guys can come in. I know Sap hasn't had a huge, huge impact yet, but he got in. He was a steady player throughout last season. But I think we know who Uman Milan is. We know who Watson is. Like we know some of these things. And I would throw Boone in that mix in terms of guys that need it. McClellan, Boone, and Sap, if those three guys can take the next step and we could supplement that with a couple of those freshmen along with Jackson. And I, I look at Banks, I don't know if I look at him as an immediate uh, impact guy. I think he might need a year or two to develop. But if, if those three guys in particular that were here last season can take that next step, in particularly McClellan, I think the defensive line can definitely take a step forward this year. Yeah, I look at it. I think human Millen's the key. He had seven or nine and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks last year. He's kind of where Brenton Cox was last year, where we were saying, hey, came on late in the year. If you can put it all together, you're looking at a guy who can get 10, 11 sacks. 
Armstrong's going to blitz a lot. And so there's going to be some opportunities where human Milan has one-on-one battles on the outside. He showed last year towards the end of the year that he can win some of those battles. He wasn't winning them all the time, but he was winning them some of the time, which was more than anybody else at a defensive end was doing. But the reality is, is that Florida's going to have to win some front four battles mm-hmm. at some point during the year. They didn't win any front four battles last year. It didn't seem like, especially not in big situations. And or look, if they I mean, did, or if they did, they couldn't tackle the quarterback. Well, that was true too. But <laughs> look, I mean, you need defensive tackles who are going to hold the middle. And I think with Jackson, Watson, and McClellan, you start, and maybe Banks as well, you start to see sort of the framework for being able to hold up in the middle. But then you need guys who can win on the outside. And so Human Milan, I think, has not only a profile, but is one of the few guys who, when you really look at it, has put up production. Like four and a half sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss is a guy who has gotten into the backfield on a fairly regular basis, especially considering that he wasn't even really starting last year, at least not extensively, until Cox was gone, right? They weren't giving him the same types of opportunities until Cox was was kicked off the team. So I look for him to be the guy who can really take the step up. If you're looking for, you know, Florida, I think had like, what, 16 or 17 sacks all last year, and he had four and a half of them. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for him to probably end up in that nine to 10 range this year. And if he does that, I think we're going to be looking at him just like we did for some of the guys coming out this year saying that's a guy who's going to go in the second or third round of the NFL draft. Well, I separated him a bit, and another player will, going to your point, who received a lot more playing time when Britton Cox goes away, uh, labeled just you know, Jack Edge Rusher, Antoine Powell Ryland, got a lot more playing time as well. Uh, comes back and leads that group of you know the Edge Rushers here. Well, behind him, oh my. Uh, <laughs> Jack Pyburn, you're getting into the rotation as a second-year player. Uh, you know, hope uh, he, can, he can break through. A true freshman, TJ, seriously has impressed in early workout. So hopefully that translates uh, to once these guys hit the field as well. Um, but, you know, these guys behind Powell Island are going to get every opportunity uh, to prove that they can be a depth piece uh, and in the rotation with, with Powell Island and Yuma Miele. And, you know, how, we'll see how Armstrong kind of uses the defensive ends and the edge and the outside linebacker, all those, you know, kind of be intertwined here, here and there. But, you know, those guys will get every opportunity because there's just not a lot of experience depth uh, in, in front of them besides Antoine Powell Ryland. Uh, but a couple other things I think we should probably look here for this spring uh, with the change with Armstrong coming in. Could we see players that have played other positions get a shot? You know, could, could Scooby Williams, if you can't crack through it linebacker, could we see him play in a role that he played more in high school, this this edge pass rusher role? So could, could, could Scooby Williams maybe have a position change uh, throughout this? Kelby Collins, we'll bring his name up again as well, could be here in certain situations. You know, he told us uh, on the Gator Collective uh, – uh, interview a couple weeks ago. You know, he's playing almost everywhere uh, up front right now. Uh, so could Kelby Collins, you know, be used in certain situations as more of a jack edge pass rusher type of role. So, you know, either way, it doesn't matter. Heading into this spring, this spring Powell Ryland, that's the only experience Florida has at this edge jack role. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that, I mean, he's going to have to hold up, right? I mean, he's going to be the the anchor there. But one thing that you will notice is that Powell Ryland struggled in coverage last year. There were a lot of times where they had the simulated pressures where he was asked to drop into zone coverages. I don't think Armstrong is going to do that all that much. I think he'll have some times where he runs the sim pressures, but for the most part, he, he's a guy who's sort of, sort of, it's not bend and don't break. It's the opposite, right? He gives up a bunch of big plays, but he also brings, a lot, brings the house a lot. And so you're going to, in that situation, you're going to be putting guys like Powell Ryland 
someone in a situation where they can succeed. Instead of dropping them into coverage, you're going to have a guy who's equipped to come off the edge and potentially win when they come off the edge. I think, you know, look, I mean, Nunnery is somebody who who yep. is one of those sort Maybe. of tweeners between safety and linebacker. And so you mentioned that – I would think like a guy like Jaden Robinson, you might be able to get him on the field by situationally taking a guy who maybe is a little bit better in coverage. And then you give the offense something to think about because you can start wondering, are they going to run a simulated pressure? Like that was a thing when either human Milan or Powell Ryland dropped into his own last year. I looked at that and said, you're kind of doing exactly what the offense wants you to do. Like, I don't want those guys rushing the passer. If I'm the offense, I want those guys in coverage in a zone. We'll pick them apart. And so, um, I suspect that that's really going to be the, the thing is sort of getting back to the basics and saying, what do my guys do well? And if you've got Powell Ryland in there and you've got Yumi Milan in there, get them after the quarterback and then free up somebody else to do the different things you want to do. Um, Pyburn, we just haven't seen anything from. And obviously, right. seriously, we've heard a lot of good things about, but there's not a whole lot of depth there. So to think that somebody might jump into that role. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's a pass rushing role. People like rushing the passer. <laughs> like you're not gonna you're not gonna make a linebacker angry by putting him on the outside and saying go get him. So <laughs> the question will be, can you hold up in the run game? Right. That that'll be the question. And that's where maybe Pyburn has an edge as the backup there. He's a big dude. He's gonna be able to set the edge. So depending upon what you're trying to do and who you're playing, I think may dictate what happens. Right. If you're playing a spread team like Tennessee, you're gonna want more speed out there. A guy like Pyburn. It almost reminds me of like in the NFL or in the NBA where you. You've got you know centers that against some teams you can play like Rudy Gobert is a great example for the Timberwolves. Like you can play him against some teams, and then other teams will just run him right off the court. And I think in many ways, Florida doesn't have you know we always talk about three down linebackers, right? A linebacker who can go out there and and do everything, stop the run, excellent, excellent commanding the offense, being the quarterback or commanding the defense, being the quarterback of the defense, and then being able to be in pass coverage as well. I think in many ways, Florida doesn't necessarily have three down defensive ends. And mm-hmm. so you you know Human Milan and Powell Ryland are smaller guys. There may be an opportunity to kick somebody out to defensive end on first down, second down, keep those guys fresh when they come out to rush the passer. Pyburn's the name that I was going to focus on too. I would like to see him develop and take that next step. Maybe this is Jacksonville. I'm a Jacksonville native, uh, so maybe it's the Jacksonville in me, but I look at him playing at Bulls, and I look at that profile he had uh, wrestling as well, and I just I, I feel like maybe I we haven't seen a ton of him, but if you guys talk about him maybe being a little weaker in pass coverage, like we haven't really been great at stopping the run or stopping the pass the last couple of years. It'd be cool to be good at one of them this year so <laughs> even if there is some inherent weakness there it would be cool to be like just to get to to stop the even if he's just better at stopping the run okay we got a guy out there that's better at stopping the run and then you could get situational with it and rotate out certainly i think this is a position that's going to get a lot of rotation to see who can have the type of impact i, I think there's plenty you want to talk about uh opportunity for guys to step up certainly this is a spot yeah, and, and I and I like what Powell Ryland did last year uh, as as a pass rusher. So hopefully, you know, he can continue to develop uh, his game uh, when he kind of took over for Brenton Cox. I mean, he was he was in. I was higher on Brenton Cox throughout his career than the most, but I also will admit at the same time there was a difference last year. Uh, I thought Cox was playing well, but Powell Ryland did some things uh, as far as rushing the passer that I didn't see from Brenton Cox last year. Uh, so hopefully, he can continue to develop that role a bit more. Yeah, they just didn't ask him to, when they asked him to go into coverage. They were asking him to do something that he wasn't very good at. Yeah, and I think the that, Tennessee game is one play I remember 
very particularly where they ask him to drop <laughs> back. And I was one. like, yeah, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and that's okay, right? Like, right. that's yeah. the thing is if you can rush the passer, like guys who could rush the passer get a lot of money in the NFL. So, you know, if you've got a guy who's good at that, let him do that. But to then just say, and this was, I think, maybe the undoing of Patrick Tony when you really look at it is, I'm going to run my simulated pressures irrespective of what my personnel can do. And I'm going to put a guy who's better at rushing the passer in coverage, and I'm going to put a guy who's not very good at blitzing coming in and blitzing instead of instead of sort of vice versa and doing things that way. Um, I suspect Armstrong is going to going to be able to take a fresh look at the personnel that he's got and decide how to put guys in the situation to succeed. All right, guys, let's go to the second level right here on defense. Really, I think we're all looking forward to Shamar James and his development, his next step of his career as a Gator, uh, and even more so now with, with Armstrong having a, a background in coaching linebackers and his tendency to rush his linebackers a bit more. I'm really looking forward to in looking at Shamar to really break through as a big-time contributor this spring. Yes, he broke through as a freshman last year, but now I'm talking about breaking through as he's, you know, a top defensive player for the Gators, maybe even a top defensive player in the SEC. That's the type of breakthrough I'm looking at for, hey, look, no no, no pressure, Shamar, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> go, go with that. <laughs> so, obviously, you can say, you know, he broke through as a true freshman last year, 44 tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble, significant impact. Uh, but now, as he's going to get starter reps, you know, breakthrough, and probably as a starter alongside with I'm, – I'm going to Roger Mitchell here to transfer from Ohio State. Miller, Bernie Gone, Wingo recovering from surgery. Who knows what his status to be this spring at the same time. So Florida needed an experienced linebacker. Got one in Mitchell. One year left. Looking to make you know his mark this spring. Uh, better at stopping the, stopping the run. A really good run-stopping linebacker there uh, into Roger Mitchell. So not sure how much Wingo would be available. I expect him to be in the rotation come this fall, of course. But – if I'm looking at the top of the linebacker, and you know, there's some question there because of the transfer portal for the Gators and linebacker, I think your top two, Shamar James to Roger Mitchell. Yeah, I, I do. I like Spurlock too coming in on the portal as a developmental project. I think that's going to take a couple of years to really kick in. I don't think you're going to see him. Uh, pop off as much here in 2023 nunnery certainly you talk about special teams depth that guy yep. he had uh, was he was he the special teams player of the year at houston yeah one two year? years ago yep two years ago yeah so and, and billy is very high on billy napier is very high on Jaden robinson I, I feel like every time he talks about robinson i've seen him talk about robinson uh you know his press conference on signing day he's just glowing talking about robinson i know he likes his game a lot but certainly you talk about the superstar potential there is James. And uh, like you said, no pressure. If if he doesn't develop to that level, if he takes a step back, has a sophomore slump, this is a, a spot that's very vulnerable. Though A couple injuries to the wrong guys, it could be a tough time at linebacker this year for the Gators. I, I am very concerned about this group. Yeah, I don't have a lot to say to this group to add to what you guys have other than Nunnery has been testing out in terms of like just his physical skills better than anybody else mm-hmm. on the team when you actually think about or when you've when you've listened to what people have said about what he's been doing um, when, they, when they've seen him during the offseason program, which means he's not just a special teams player, right? A guy who's like, oh, he's got a big heart. It's like Steve Tasker, you know, so for the old Buffalo Bills teams <laughs> where he's like five foot ten running up and down the field. And you're like, oh, it's just because he's got a lot of want to. Like, I think that's what you think of when you think of the special teams player of the year. That's not Nunnery. I think Nunnery, you know, we've been waiting for a linebacker who can go side to side. And that's going to be the question, I think, for Florida is Mitchell has experience, but also obviously some injury concerns. Wingo injured. We don't really know what he's got. James, we want to see step up. But if you got a linebacker who can go side to side and can really 
excel in coverage. Again, you know, I already talked about the tight ends forcing the defense to do something with personnel that you don't want them to do. Well, if you got a guy like Nunnery, if Nunnery can show that he can stop the run, well, now all of a sudden, if you've got a guy with those physical skills who can match up against as best you can, a guy like Bowers at Georgia, you know, all of a sudden now you've got a real asset there. And, and that I think is the place where if Florida's going to have a good linebacking court, it's going to come down to Nunnery stepping up. I think I sort of expect James to be good. I expect Mitchell to be solid. I think the question I have is, is there a third guy who can jump in there at linebacker and really sort of be that three-down linebacker? And Nunnery, to me, has that profile. Gators needed to hit the transfer portal at that position. They did. Hopefully those guys are some instant impact uh, right there. But as we said, Jaden Robinson, the only linebacker recruited uh, in the last class for the Gators. Maybe he gets on the field early as well. But now, you know, with those transfers, you don't have to force him in uh, to the mix as early as you would have if you didn't get those guys uh, this spring. Now you're able to just kind of work him in. He gets his feet wet just a bit as spring practice comes up. So, guys, let's move to the secondary. Very interesting aspect here, of course, with the coaching change here for the Gators and Corey Raymond now taking over completely for the secondary. Um, not split up to be in just the cornerbacks coach uh, and the defensive corner, Patrick Tony coaching the safeties. Corey Raymond will be coaching and have control over the complete secondary, helping Armstrong. And guys, you know, we're talking about storylines a little bit here, too. You know, now Armstrong, I, I think this helps him some more, too. He can come in and know that position is taken care of, uh, making, I think, his transition just a bit easier. You know, if I'm a young defensive coordinator, I have spring practice starting as soon as I step on campus. There's hardly a better way to say, hey, see that guy right there? He's going to be coaching your secondary. <laughs> so I think if you're a young defensive coordinator, that, that kind of eases your mind just a little bit when Corey Raymond is going to be coaching your secondary. And, you know, look, now, is it, it, you know, Armstrong will have his input, but Raymond is a coach you can lean on, uh, especially for this particular situation. Now there's one voice on the back end that's not split from safety, the cornerbacks, everybody's on the same page. There's one voice back there now. Hopefully that goes a long way in fixing these defensive back issues we saw last year uh, at Florida. Now the teaching is probably more of a collective unit instead of two voices here uh, with Corey Raymond taking over. But, of course, that leads to some questions in the secondary and who's going to be taking over. I think one a very interesting position battle – Looking at cornerback, uh, Jason Marshall, no question cornerback one, but I think there is some question for that second spot in that that cornerback number two uh, spot right here. You know, I think Marshall, you can count on him now with Corey Raymond on the back end uh, and Armstrong, maybe a little more man coverage, some tighter zone coverage. I think that should help somebody like Jason Marshall, uh, but I'm really looking forward to who's opposite of him. Uh, you know, who who is opposite Jason Marshall? I think one of the more intriguing battles this fall camp For me personally, Devin Moore and Jaden Hill. Uh, Moore coming back from injury after he learned a lot of praise last year. He earned a lot of praise last year. Played in that Utah game. Made a big play late in that game. He gets injured a a few games later. But that's about the time Jaden Hill returns from his injury. And, you know, he has a big game versus Missouri. Uh, I think Hill gets that first crack given playing last year, given his experience as well. But I can see a true battle coming up for the second quarterback spot with Devin Moore uh, as long as he can bounce back health-wise from that shoulder injury. I mean, look, I think cornerback's one of the easier positions to jump in and contribute right away, especially if you're an outside cornerback. And, Nick, you could probably speak to this better than I can, but you sent me film that you put on Twitter of Jakeem Jackson, and that guy just pops off the film. And so, you know, you start thinking about, like, if we've got battles and we've got open positions, you know, 
that's a guy that Napier targeted from the start, rocketed up the boards towards the end once he started going to camps and getting more eyeballs on him. Was awesome during the season when you actually saw him play both wide receiver and quarter and was popping there. Um, yeah, I think he's the guy I have my eyes on, especially as you look at there isn't a guaranteed QB2, and quite honestly, you're or cornerback too. And quite honestly, you need a third one anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and you know when Tennessee splits nine guys outside the hashes, you need some corners. And so uh, I, throw, I, I throw, throw star and nickel in there too. Yeah. So I look at Jackson yeah. and say that's where that's the guy I'm paying attention to as mo- you know as as both spring and fall camp commence. I, I am stoked about the potential for this secondary in 2024. I think that 24? these are we, we, yes. we'll skip 23. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think 23 is going to be a development year, but you have the groundwork and foundation with the guys coming in. Uh, Will's right. I did. I happened to go to Lakeland to check out that game with Osceola in the, I believe it was the state semifinals. And Jackson was just the guy your eyes are drawn to him the whole game. He, he made play after play for, for Osceola in that game. He was great. I, I think a couple of the plays I have on there, there's one I had where he just absolutely lit a kid up. It, it was he can hit, he can run, he can do everything. He can do everything. So I definitely look for Jakeem Jackson. Very excited to see his potential coming in this year. Uh, however, you look at Johnson out of Wharton too. Like, is that a guy that could step in too? I, so, yeah, you're right. That cornerback position, you certainly got opportunities there, Dave. But I do think that they're going to need a, a year to get this settled in. But aside with the defensive line and the wide receiver group, this is – the, the, this is one of the three groups I'm most excited about in terms of the young guys coming in because I absolutely think these young players are an upgrade over what's gone out the door, and I think we will see the secondary drastically improve here in the next uh, next two years. Yeah, going to Will's point, you're going to see three. You're going to see three a whole lot. So yeah, maybe nitpicking here between Devin Moore and, and Jaden Hill as as far as cornerback two goes. Uh, but I'm, I'm big on Devin Moore and, and his potential. But I think if Jaden Hill is your quote-unquote cornerback too, I think that he went and at least earned and beat a really good Devin Moore. I think Florida's top three cornerbacks uh, can be really good. And like I said, I'm, I want to look forward to see what Corey Raymond does as a, as a group uh, with, with this group as a, as a whole uh, and, and looking at safety there too uh, and all the questions that, that come along with the, with the safety group. Man, I don't know. Uh, that that's you got some questions there. Kamari Wilson, you uh, would assume has got one spot locked up, and maybe Miguel Mitchell uh, as well, as he got some playing time later in the year last year. Had a big game versus South Carolina. I think that's your top two, but Miguel Mitchell, I think he could split the safety and maybe the star nickel as well. Uh, so, question, you know, besides, you know, besides besides Wilson, I think that's about all you feel great about as far as naming somebody who's going to be you know, a solidified starter back there at safety. And, you know, Miguel Mitchell, like I said, I, I like what I saw from him. I think he'll be that second safety. Uh, but, you know, you might be counting on some true freshmen coming in. Trey Dean gone, Rashad Torrance gone. You know, does that open up the door for, uh, you know, an Aaron Gates, uh, Bryce Thornton, and Jordan Castell to come in and maybe get some early playing time? I would think just because we're having this question of who can play that maybe second safety role. And I think a true freshman could at least, you know, get in that too deep there. Thornton's another guy that had outstanding tape just all over the field as well. Uh, yeah, Dave, I'm, I'm with you on that. Definitely question. This, this is what I'm saying. I, I think 23 is going to be a year where things shake out. There's going to be guys who get in there. I think there's going to be mistakes made. 
lot, a young secondary. I think you're going to see uh, some blown coverages here and there. I definitely anticipate, though, by the end of the year, you're going to start to see that group kind of form. But I'll tell you what, and, and this is no dis- disrespect to the guys that were here, but Dean and Torrance for two guys that are going to get drafted certainly – were a part of the problem on defense in the last couple of years, right? So I, yep. they, I think they're outstanding talents individually, but you talk about some sloppy tackling or miscoverages here or there. Safety's not been a solid spot for us, and this is a part of the defense. If we could shore it up, it, it could change a lot. Well, I just look at it, and I think early on, especially you're looking at Kamari Wilson and and uh, Miguel Mitchell at the safety positions. I think so. Maybe on. some of those young guys push for playing time after Utah. But the reality is, is going into going into Utah, um, those are the guys who are going to start. I'm not quite sure who comes in if there's an injury, <laughs> especially yeah. early on. And I think that's what you're trying to figure out, right? And I think Mitchell and Wilson are probably the incumbent starters. And then the question is. Who else is going to step into those roles? And look, I mean, you know, we just talked about all of the depth that there is at, at cornerback. Is it possible that you sort of have some hybrid type things there as well, right? Like a guy like Jalen Kimber is is maybe an outside guy. Does that allow them to take a guy like Jadarius Perkins and play him not okay. just in a star or a nickel role, but actually put him back in a position where maybe you play some safety? I mean, Perkins is a pretty big dude. And, you know, he's not, I wouldn't say he has elite coverage skills or elite speed. But if you take a guy who doesn't have elite coverage skills and put him at safety, well, now all of a sudden those coverage skills are pretty good for that sort of for that position. And so I am really curious to see what happens. Like you said, Dave, um, Corey Rabin treating this like a unit where you're trying to figure out the best four or five guys to be out there in your base defense or your nickel defense, as opposed to going, well, these guys are corners and these guys are safeties. It's like, well, no, who's the best five guys for the offense that we're playing against? And so if you're playing against a two tight end defense, well, hey, your safeties are going to be more physical guys who can, or a two tight end offense, you're going to have safeties mm-hmm. who are more physical guys who can come up and play in the box. But if you're playing against a spread where the team is more, is, is more, uh, you know, more flash and and more glitz. Well, okay, now we're going to have faster guys out there in space. I think there's probably some pieces you're going to see move around, and that's maybe the thing that we should look for, particularly in the spring game, is are there some guys at the safety position, especially if they've got two teams, right? You're going to have to have four safeties. Like, who are those safeties going to be, and and are they surprises? Are they guys that maybe we would have penciled in as like a backup at the cornerback position, but they've been able to slide into the safety position because they possess some skills that would be useful there? I do, I do like that little detail that Will threw in there, uh, starting versus Utah, because I think you're going yeah. on that road in a tough environment to open the season. You're going to see the guys out there that they're that the staff is more like. You're not going to see a lot of guys are taking shots on early on, right? In that in that game, so that that's going to be reserved for more down the road. I think out the gate you might it might err toward those veterans too. So the younger guys might need to work their way in as the season progresses. Yeah, that's where I think Wilson and, and Mitchell all kind of fit that too. I I still question their maybe coverage skills more so than I do their run stopping skills. Uh, I do think they're probably better closer to the line of scrimmage in the box. You know, maybe that maybe they're too similar uh, in, in that regard, and that kind of opens up the door for somebody else to to get in there as well. Uh, but you know, kind of shifting that towards you know star as well and that nickel safety type of role, maybe a true freshman like Sharif Denson, who uh, showed a very physical presence uh, at, at the high school level. Uh, maybe he works his way in there, too. He has some versatility in the defensive backfield in high school, so maybe that helps him as the Gators are looking for you know some nickel depth and, and safety depth. 
Sharif Denson might be a young name to keep out for there if we're kind of looking at early enrollees and freshmen going through their first spring practice as well. So, all right, guys, we did it. Hey, just 10, 10 minutes over an hour. Not too bad. Not too bad. That's what you get. Nick always tells me that our stand-up and holler over on our YouTube channel, we're going to keep it to 30 minutes. And 55 <laughs> minutes later, we're like, oh, we almost made it. <laughs> we're pretty terrible at that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough. Um, Will, you put up a article right there on Austin Armstrong, right? Uh, and what the officially, the, if you missed it, it was officially announced. I think we all kind of knew this was happening. Uh, but on Monday, officially, uh, Austin Armstrong named defensive coordinator, not co-defensive coordinator, defensive coordinator for the Gators. will have more of an overseer role, uh, not necessarily tied to a position like Patrick Tony was with the safeties. Sean Spencer still gets that co-DC role, but Austin Armstrong named defensive, co- defensive coordinator officially for the Gators. And Will, uh, you put out some uh, analysis of what you thought initially of the Armstrong hire. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, there's an opportunity there for him to be good, but I think his statistical record at Southern Miss has some holes in it. And, uh, you know, we'll see whether he's able to fill those coming to Gainesville. He's only 29, so certainly an awful lot of time to learn still. Um, but the question is, I think in many ways, is, is Gainesville a place you come to learn? Especially when you're coming into the second year of a tenure that didn't start out all that great in the first year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think there's going to be improvement regardless because there's going to be regression in the mean. And so, you know, the defense was bad last year and consistently bad, but they're too talented to be that bad. And so they're going to have some regression back to where the defense is better. And I think that's the question is what should our expectations be? So that was what I tried to take a look at is understand, all right, if Florida goes up 50 spots, is that because of Armstrong or is it because Patrick Tony just didn't do a very good job last year and we should expect that anyway? And what does it really mean for Armstrong to have a real impact on the team? Now, look, I think the other thing is, is, and (laughs) the other thing is, and this is something I didn't touch on in the article is, is, you know, we're going to have to see what he does on the recruiting front, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no secret that that's a place where Florida's going to have to improve. And, you know, Patrick Tony brought in a lot of really good players on the defensive side of the ball. But they're, but outside of Kamari Wilson, who is sort of a, um, a borderline five-star guy, other than that, there isn't an elite can't-miss guy who's coming on the defensive side of the ball um, since Patrick Tony's been there in the two classes. So if Armstrong can start securing some of that five-star talent, even if he's not as good a clinician, um, or even if he's got some holes when it comes to play calling and those sorts of things, I think all of a sudden the hire will look a lot better. So, like, I'm not, I'm not like this is a slam dunk hire by any stretch of the imagination. Um, in fact, this I, there are probably choices I would have made over Armstrong, but you know, I hope I'm wrong, and we'll see. And and certainly, I think people might be interested in going over and seeing what the statistical look is for uh, for Armstrong and his two years over there at Southern Miss. Dave, how how old was Billy Napier when he got uh, his first crack at an offensive coordinator position? Uh, Derek Clemson. Ooh, yeah, he got as close to the like, late twenties, right? Yeah, he was close to the same age. How'd that afraid, go? Not, not afraid to hire the young guy. He did. <laughs> he, he did set some records for one year. I'll give you that. <laughs> and then he almost got Dabo fired. <laughs> not afraid to pull the trigger when you see some talent, though. That's 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 the way I look at that. And certainly not a huge resume to to go off of. Lot to prove there for Armstrong, but uh, I think Will absolutely has some valid concerns there. Yeah, very very highly. The more I asked about it, too, very very highly thought of in the like Napier, Saban, Kirby coaching circle. That's kind of you know going on right now, and um, it was uh, interesting. I think uh, Graham Hall did a good job on Twenty Four Seven. Said Napier said, "Yeah, in 2019, he was like, I called Kirby up. He's like, Hey, come let this guy learn under you <laughs> for, for a year. Uh, you know, so we'll see. You know, talent profile raises at Florida, expectations and pressure 
rise at Florida as well at the same time. So that's part of the part of the deal is handing that the, the expectations of uh, us podcasters and the fan base <laughs> and the media out there too that that go along with with, with that. So yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, as as Will said, I thought I, I was thinking there was going to be a because of you know what we what we talked about the transfers and just a second year development. Thought there was going to be some improvement on the defense anyway. Now is it? Is is the is the improvement magnified now because of Armstrong? Is it just kind of maybe held in check uh, because of this? It's something I'm yeah, kind of eager to see uh, as well. So, all right, guys, we did it. Uh, went right through every position right here, getting the basically spring football primer here for the Gators Breakdown audience. Guys, uh, can't thank you enough for going go, going through in an hour and fifteen here. Yeah, man, it's lion season now. We get, we get we get all of the uh, all the lies coming out of spring practice. I, I'm I'm excited though. I mean, you know, it it doesn't feel like it's been that long since the bowl game, but it also feels like it's been a really long time since the bowl game. So uh, you know, I'm excited to get this going. And uh, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks since the NFL ended, but uh, the XFL isn't scratching that itch. We need spring practice to start. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree more. All right, guys. Thanks, Nick. Uh, yeah, thanks for hopping on and, and doing this again. Appreciate it, as always, Dave. All right, so for the guys at Read Reaction, Will and Nick, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown.